0: Hello and welcome to the latest Marathon Bet podcast with me Danny Kelly and him Simon Jordan. Hi Simon. Hey Dan, good to be here again. Absolutely, looking forward to it hugely. Those of you who are regular listeners will already know. Newcomers and welcome to you all. will need to know that what we've been doing over the last few weeks and what we'll continues to do over the next few weeks is the seven deadly sins of football. Actually, it's a 10-part series, so we'll be picking our own special sins a little later on. But at the moment, we're going through the more regular, the Bible-recognised seven deadly sins. Last week was greed, and this week we're looking at the sin of envy, of covetousness, of avarice, of wanting what other people have got. Here's just a taste of what's to come. I envied Hugh Hefner. For a variety of reasons. And then when you came in, all the young people were envying your jacket. I I, 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 I don't don't. think they were. I think ridicule was at their heart. They're not like some of these fly by night flippers we see coming in, buying football clubs. Now, look at me when you say that. No, 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 no. (laughs) Do you think that uh,
1: Jose Mourinho is envious of Pep Guardiola? Yeah, I do. Guardiola was his nemesis. And of course, you've got probably at the time Mourinho being the biggest manager, the biggest personality, not only losing his mind in El Clásico in Spain, coming over getting Manchester United, and then having to look left. A job that he'd envied for a number of years, a, a, to be a honest. Envi- a job that he'd coveted, certainly, yeah, certainly. right And sees Pep Guardiola being given absolutely everything he wants. Yeah, there is an element of rather unseemly envy.
0: As you know here on the Marathon Bet Podcast, we ask you each week to do a little bit of homework for us. Usually through the medium of Twitter, our address is at MarathonBetPod, at MarathonBetPod.com. Pod and last week, having discussed who was greedy and what greed was doing to our game as one of the seven deadly football sins, we asked you to tell us about the greediest player, either historically or currently, at your club. Fantastic response. These are just the highlights. Stephen Charman at Steve Charman123. Stephen, you said Graham Lassow.
1: No, I mean, listen... Where where does that come from? I'm quite happy to stick it to people as often as I can if they merit it, but Graham Nassau is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Maybe greedy for knowledge. Maybe (laughs) that's what Graham was greedy for, greedy for knowledge. Gavin Gritton, who's at Gavin Gritton,
0: said Marco Anatovic at West Ham all day long. Well, of course, he's got the example there
1: where he he
0: belly ached until he got a new contract and then he couldn't wait to get out of the club.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think everything, you know, it, yep, goes into that category, but nothing compares to Alexis Sanchez. I think Alexis Sanchez is top of the tree for greed. This poor man, he's getting, he gets mentioned
0: every week in one context Because he deserves it. Okay, the next one you may want to... Are you sitting comfortably, Simon? Duke's dad, who's at Duke's dad 3 on Twitter, says, Adi Akinbae,
1: him with mm. the Bentley, Peter Taylor signed him for Palace. He didn't, actually. Peter Taylor didn't sign him. Trevor Francis kept on and on and on in a war of attrition about how Adi Akinbay was the best defensive centre-forward, how we had to have him... What's a defensive centre-forward? That was my point. I said, (laughs) I don't (laughs) want to bleed in defensive centre-forward. I want someone that can score goals. Now, I would say that Adi Akinbay, as I uh, euphemistically christened him was probably greedy in the respect that he took everything as a one-way transaction, never gave anything back, even down to getting knee operations done by Stedman when it was not Richard Stedman, one of the best knee surgeons in the world, and then coming back and refusing to go and do corporate appearances that he'd been contracted and advised to do. So yeah, I'm going to go with my mate there and talk about Akinbiyi as being one of the greediest one-way transaction players. Chaz Benson, who's an
0: Aston Villa fan, he's at Dartman five hundred one on Twitter. Ross McCormack, he says, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah,
1: couldn't get over his fences, could he? Uh, Ross McCormack couldn't get out when Stevie Bruce was there. I remember Steve Bruce telling me yeah. about McCormack. McCormack was at Leeds as well, wasn't he? Mm. Didn't and agitating to get out of Leeds at one particular point. One of those that again a one-way transaction merchant. He's the one that couldn't get to training because he couldn't get over his gates, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 greedy little sod. <laughs> and another one,
0: and of course, this we're back to another Crystal Palace fan here, Steve Richardson, who is at S MUP One. Poor old Christian Benteke. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Christian Benteke says already looking for a
1: free next year. The thing is, Palace would be delighted if he went on a free, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Benteke is one of those players that when you look at Benteke, you remember him at Aston Villa. You remember the couple of goals that he might have scored that are worldies at Liverpool. And then you look at him now as the player that looks like he wants to play for Crystal Palace, looks like he's available for the ball, but is really hiding and cheating his way through games because either he doesn't care or he's no longer the player that he once was or he's lost his confidence or these times at Crystal Palace is just treading water to the next opportunity, which will probably be China.
0: Thank you all for your contributions there at our Twitter address, at MarathonBetPod, and where this week we asked you for the greediest players at your club. Later on, we'll be asking you your contributions of things that you have been envious about because envy is the theme of this week's Marathon Bet podcast. With me, Danny Kelly, him, Simon Jordan. Simon, I guess uh, in the wider world, before we get into football, you've made a lot of money and uh, I bet you you've had people who pretend to be your friends actually
1: just incredibly jealous of your success. Well, envy, I think, is one of the worst of all the deadly sins because often envy is something you don't see in others. It influences their thinking and sometimes people sidle up to you in life and the old mantra of keeping your enemies closer becomes part of the thinking about envy. And green eye is something that exists in business, in society, Society in personal relationships, and by Christ, it exists in football. When we arrived here to make the uh, Marathon Bet podcast, people
0: noticed that you were wearing a beautiful wine-coloured, I would imagine, tremendously expensive Velour. velvet. Velour, Velour I velvet. Think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. velvet. Paul, Jacket. Paul Smith. Yeah, burgundy. Ah, I think it is. Paul. I envied Hugh Hefner.
1: For a variety of reasons. And then when
0: you came in, all the young people were envying your
1: jacket. And so it goes on. I don't think they were. I think ridicule was at their heart.
0: I'm sure if you uh, look closely enough at the Twitter feed for the Marathon Bet podcast, you'll get a picture of Simon's fantastic jacket. Let's get started, Simon. Uh, I'll start, as I often do on these programmes, with the players. Because clearly, one of the things that's driving one of your pet hates, never mind one of the seven deadly sins, we talked about greed last week. It's envy, isn't it? Players... And their representatives have long, and I suppose it was always the case since they abolished the maximum wage, envied each other's, first of all, their wages and each other's clubs. Yeah, it's always course. looking to the next, the greener grass, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the unfortunate thing with envy and coveting what others have is it also breeds another E which is a sense of entitlement which is a rather ugly cousin of envy because people think that necessarily without all the hard work and endeavour and achievements that ultimately you should have what others have and football is a breeding ground for that. Lots of times when I was involved with Crystal Palace I saw it manifest itself. I often saw it manifest itself when players went away on international duty and came back when I had players that went away and played for England at varying levels came back and they would be sharing dressing rooms with the like of Manchester United and Liverpool players. And with respect to my side, who I had Mm -hmm. great pride in and great belief in, there is a difference between a Crystal Palace and a Manchester United and a Liverpool and an Arsenal and and even your mob Tottenham. Mm -hmm. And so with that goes the expectation of what you pay these players. But it isn't just players going away on international duty. It's a far more reaching effect because it actually undermines the entire fabric of football because what you have is elite players being paid Elite money, in my view, sometimes ridiculous money. But the drip down effect is that players further down the pyramid, down that same league, down into the football league, down into leagues beneath it, have an envy of the salaries that are being brought about elsewhere and also a sense of entitlement. And then you look at historic players that are now in the media and they will often have this sort of thinly concealed Envy towards what the modern player is getting. Even if they
0: themselves were earning 30 grand a week, fantastic money, of course they they think they've missed the boat, don't they?
1: It is an ugly and I think destructive emotion. And what it does is it also brings a great deal of pressure inside football clubs. You know, if you look at the idea that whether Harry Kane is the lightning rod, the torch carrier for Tottenham Hotspur... If he then subsequently gets a salary rise, you can bet dollars for donuts. Mm. Danny Rose, you know, the Barrett Room lawyer, will be coming out with his particular brand of envy, which will be dressed up in, under the veneer of what he wants for the rest of the club, but of course be cloaked in what he wants for himself.
0: It's a really interesting cultural phenomenon, that, not it? That in this country, team sports, you always get that. If X is getting that money, Dave blogs, I want the same money as Dave Bloggs. Yeah. Um, and we have a kind of... Until I suppose the last 30 years, we've had a very much a collective way of going on in this country, and so you can see why I got there in America, where people are much more individualistic and their politics is more about the politics of the individual. Nobody bats an eyelid when the quarterback at a big club or the number one pitcher at a yep. baseball club earns, and I mean this 20 times what one of the blokes who's protecting one of the uh, offensive line yep. is earning. Nobody bats an eyelid, even the players themselves.
1: Well, it's a cultural thing, but you know, if you look across the business of sports, and specifically football in this country, because that's really our subject matter. Mm. There is a a belief that that what someone else gets is what you should get, irrespective of whether you've earned that right or whether you're as instrumental or integral to the performance of a team. And it's a difficult dynamic because in team sports, I do hear the arguments, but by the same token, there are head cooks and there's bottle washers and one has to accept your place in the pecking order. But envy will pervade all football, whether it's the cars that they drive, the clubs that they play for, the women that they date. It is a culture of coveting, whether it's the agent that they use, the entire outlook of what they've been achieving at other clubs. Envy forms a huge part. And I think rather... You know, the Seven Deadly Sins are the Seven Deadly Sins, so they are all None in are own, attractive. All no. in their own right debilitating and designed to bring things down to a level which is not the most palatable. But I find Envy one of the most destructive ones because it's quite insidious. You don't see it coming sometimes. And even when you do see it, it can be incredibly destructive. The example
0: I want you to talk about, and that we'll talk about, is you've got one of the best players in the world, certainly in his mind and certainly in his paycheck, yep. in Neymar Jr., who became so consumed with envy for Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi regularly winning the Ballon d'Or. To me, the Ballon d'Or is a worthless bauble, an individual acknowledgement in a team sport. It's it's largely worthless, but in the rest of the world, it's taken very seriously. In order to facilitate his own pursuit of that bauble, he moved to PSG, itself the most dysfunctional club in European football. And I'm going to put it to you straight away... There, his envy has backfired. Now, we're recording this in the last hours of the European transfer window, and he may well get a million pound a week transfer to a Spanish club while we're talking about this, but I doubt it. He's wasted the last two years of his career messing about at
1: PSG. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think it was a strange move. It was predicated by two things, one being inordinate amounts of money and transfer fees, but also for the very nature of what the player said himself, which is he covets something someone else has got and felt that he needed to go into an environment that enabled him to be the organ grinder or the most central figure. The big, when, the big wheel, the big yeah, cheese, well, in, 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 in reality, us. I think that shows a lacking in... Well, that's not the only lacking that Neymar has, but a lacking in his own belief because, quite frankly, going somewhere else to achieve a Ballon d'Or is a very vacuous way of thinking about it because, really, if you want to be the best... You play with the best and you illustrate you are the best by being better than what they are. And if you've got a stage to do it on, I don't equate to that attitude, but I think ultimately he's reaped what he's sown because he's gone to PSG. You and I have very strident views about PSG. You call it a Fabergé egg. Yeah, beautiful on the outside, utterly hollow inside. Yeah, No sense of community, no real history, horrible football club. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. I think, you know, in previous scenarios, I've described... Manchester City as a Frankenstein club and I think if ever there was a a club that was more befitting of that moniker it is probably PSG because they lack all of the vitality, the integrity, the depth, the sense of meaning, the character, all of those things that you want the elite club in a European league. If If you look at Bayern Munich, if you look at Ajax, if you look at Madrid and Barcelona. Although at times yeah. I question some of the validity Juventus of it. Juventus, the way they do yeah.
0: their business.
1: Again, we have to be careful how we, because yeah. you know, it wasn't so long ago, Juventus were being demoted down leagues because of their lack of integrity. But there tends to be more value in the way that they operate. They tend to represent something. I, all I see, PSG representing is a big puddle of Middle Eastern money. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because ultimately, to some extent, despite our reservations about influence, you have to say that with the Middle Eastern money that's gone into Manchester City, as much as at times I've questioned it, you can't question their commitment to that football club because they've regenerated certain parts of the area and they've become a subject of envy because people envy Man City because they would like to have an owner. They come along wealthy guys and Ellis Short come into Sunderland, Randy Lerner came into Aston Villa. But guys like Abramovich and Sheikh Mansour which will be the subject of great envy have actually also proved to be quite substantive and substantial in their commitment to their clubs and their longevity actually proves as well precisely that they're
0: not like some of these
1: fly by night flippers we
0: see coming and buying football clubs now look at me when you say that no 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 no. (laughs) we all understand that uh, you lost every penny you had except the the money you may understand except the uh, the Paul Smith jacket money which you kept in your back pocket When I was a youth, I think I took a great deal of notice what Tottenham Hotspur did, and not a blind bet notice what anyone else did. That's all changed. The example I'd give in English football just now, Simon, where envy is clear and obvious, and maybe there's reasons, you can help me with that, is Salford City, Mm -hmm. where, I mean, take away the money that they've got, where they can afford to outbid Scottish Premier League clubs and championship clubs for strikers in the form of Adam Rooney, and the publicity surrounding the class of 92... Other supporters of teams in the National League, League Two, and eventually it'll be League One as well, they must be looking with a mixture of envy and fury
1: at Solvers' progress. Yeah, I think that is probably right. I think envy comes from the amount of media attention that they're getting because of the Beckhams, skulls, Butts and Nevilles of the world. Also because these guys have got this perceived, and I suspect justified gold dust, that someone like a Peter Limb let's be clear who's funding Salford, Peter Lim, um, has been... Footballers
0: ma- never put their hand no, in their that's pocket, do they? True. Ever.
1: No, only to bring out a demand for something else they might want. <laughs> but there will be an element of people looking within the confines, and it often exists more in the non-leagues because there is a sense of, this is the real football, this is the grassroots, and it'll be like, how dare this rock and roll club come with these famous players that are able to attract a billionaire to invest in non-league football, a TV series, and with that will come a natural level of envy. And to some extent, I understand it because when you've been around football, and Theo Paphitis is a great mate of mine that sponsors the Ryman's League, and you see the intensity and the integrity and the decency and the commitment that goes into non-league football, and up comes... This Salford. An upstart. Uh, an upstart with all the advantages of these superstar players, that are, you know, former players that are able to make them look something and ultimately have the attraction of a very wealthy man to fund it, it will create a culture of envy. This week of all
0: weeks, anybody who is a bit green eyed about Salford, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but they do have to look very carefully which would they prefer in the world, Salford Cities
1: or Berry? Football club. That's a difficult compare and contrast because ultimately, you know, you cannot legislate for what one person's disgraceful behaviour at Bury has brought about. Football clubs are very difficult businesses. We discuss it all the time. Mm. You know, you take on the responsibility of a football club when you own one. You put yourself in an invidious position. But looking at Salford, who have yet to be put to some of the challenges for longevity, And commitment of owner integrity, owner financing, owner ambition, owner desires—backdrop of some adversity—we all judge the Salfords of the world in the long game, and won't judge them against the sad demise of Berry. But it shouldn't be lost in annuals of time that whilst Berry was a very difficult proposition for anybody to own, I suspect because a lot of these clubs, it does not give one glimmer of excuse to the person that ultimately has presided over their demise, which is this guy, Steve Dell, who's nothing short of a scandal. And that's, of course, why, why you keep
0: calling for a change not in the people who own the clubs, but in the rules that allow them to own the clubs because we're just attracting terrible, terrible people. Yeah, I not mean... Not all,
1: but some. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the, to some extent, the EFL clubs want to spend less time Envying what the Premier League has got and envying the wealth and riches and start dealing with the real issues outside of the Premier League, which is the constitution, the 72 clubs, the management and the governance. Less time coveting the money because let's be clear, they can envy the Premier League money. The more money drops into the championship, the more they'll spend unless there's proper governance, because all that will happen is that the players will get all of the money. And the game won't be advanced and all the envy in the world about what Premier League clubs get and what they don't get will not surpass the need for correct administrative responsibility within the confines of the Football League and correct governance.
0: We're talking about envy and covetousness. The envy cast at Salford City is of nothing... Something's gone on in Germany in the last few years. The Bundesliga has always been put up to us, yep, Simon, as being a... the paradigm of how to run football. They make plenty of money. With fan the clubs are yeah. fantastically successful in Europe. Usually, the national team has been world champions more recently than England several yep. times. And the owners own forty nine percent of these community clubs. All of this lovely mill pond has had a yep. brick dropped into it in the past few years. When Red Bull, with all their money, we see what they've done in Formula One. Yep. Bought the uh, two clubs, Salzburg and particularly Leipzig, and yeah. Red Bull, uh, RB Leipzig have razed through the German leagues. They are now the only genuine contenders to Bayern Munich and Dortmund. You've got clubs like Schalke with 80,000 people a week going to them. Tremendous history and all the rest of it, casting not just envious but very angry eyes at RB Leipzig. I mean,
1: this is happening at a much higher level than the Salfords of this world. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, you look at these clubs and they look at the way they evolve, and one size doesn't fit all. But I don't know. Do you really think that the Bayern Munichs of the world are looking with envy at these clubs? No, I think it's the other clubs. I
0: think it's the the Schalkers, the Bayers, right. okay, um, the traditional, the Wolfsburgs, the, the clubs who were traditionally owned by the local businesses, Volkswagen, yeah. uh, Bayer, the chemical people, yeah. and all the rest of it. And they had a nice, cushy place in the world. They, they weren't challenging. Bayern Munich the way they ought to be if they were going to be a properly competitive league. Um, but the fans in Germany are very proud of the way the Bundesliga is. Yeah. And they compare it all the time positively against the Premier League which they see as Gordon gecko, greed is good and all the yeah. rest of it. Yeah. And for see Leipzig come in, see, I think they thought this could never happen. That our football clubs would always have better players. But Leipzig Young, good young players including Sadio Mane and have cemented their place in the Bundesliga it's at a point now where if you ask me who will be relegated in the next 10 years Leipzig or Schalke who are after Bayern technically the second biggest club in Germany I'd say Schalke have got much more chance chance, the world has changed the Germans are particularly furious about it (laughs) one of the most obvious, but I think actually rather sad forms of MVIC, is that generation of British and Irish football managers who had it all their own way for the last 40 years. You might include among them Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew, all all decent enough individuals when you get to meet them, but uh, as a group, I'd say Mark Hughes is another one. You could even, I've got to be careful what I say here, Roy Keane, I'm whispering his name in case he hears the podcast and comes and gets us, who they are in the middle of an Envy pincer movement, they can't stand Johnny Foreigner coming in and taking their jobs, and they don't like the Graham Potters and the Eddie Howes of this world yeah, coming up the with, their, with their
1: clipboards and their... They know where thinking, yeah. Yeah, and their I ice really, chambers. I always remember a very famous example, or one I thought was quite pertinent, was Harry Redknapp talking about the idea that if Eddie Howe was called Eduardo Suarez he'd have more opportunity to be a to managing one of the top six clubs and I just think that's nonsense. I think at the center of certain segments of envy is a laziness and a lack of preparedness to do what it takes, a desire to be in a situation where you don't have to do anything more, you don't have to evolve. And I think at the centre of that kind of thinking, whether it's the Sam Allardyces of the world, I'm not so sure that of it is the Sam Allardyces as the world, but whether it's certain segments of the management fraternity that are becoming outmoded, that are becoming outthought, and the evolution of football has changed. And that just doesn't just... You know, relate to managers. It relates to players and owners and everyone across the board. Have a propensity to rather than look at themselves and say, "Well, actually, this culture that we have." I was a kind of sloppy, slovenly, bone idle player. i right, did the bare minimum that I could, got by, made a fortune, didn't spend the rest of my days training so I could kick with both feet. I've suddenly morphed into, uh I get it." Bone idle, lackadaisical underprepared football manager, and would rather then turn around and say, "Actually, rather than accept the fact that the game." evolves that enhancements and improvements are part of it and it's actually your standards that are not where they need to be would rather have an envious view and a slightly vitriolic and facetious glance and say well it's the fad it's idiot owners that see a foreign manager like the idiot owners used to see foreign players as a cheap commodity or the fashion rather than say actually It's us, we don't do enough. The reasons why every manager in the Premier League with a few exceptions, few exceptions, and I can only think of one off the top of my head, well actually two with Brendan Rodgers and Sean Dyche are really only former managers because the culture of envy and outlook upon ridiculing rather than going, okay, We've got to change our thinking. We've got to evolve. We've got to work harder. We've got to have more integrity. We've got to manage our relationships with our own better. We've got to really believe the nonsense that we trot out, which is, I'll spend your money like it were mine, rather than saying it simply because it They've sounds good. They've got to
0: good. develop the man management skills that Guardiola
1: yeah. and Klopp, Klopp and Pochettino yeah. clearly have it mastered. Absolutely right. And Benitez, as much as I dislike his envy of what was in the Chinese League that he could oh, go and get. He's done something about that, I don't know, hasn't yeah, he, 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 has indeed. Yeah, he satiated that lust. (laughs) Let me ask you a straightforward
0: question. Do you think, because we're talking about the very top level of manager there briefly, do you think that uh, Jose Mourinho is envious of Pep Guardiola?
1: Yeah, I do. I think it's an envy brought about by an inability to achieve what he wanted to achieve in Madrid. Guardiola was his nemesis. And, of course, you've got in that particular game, those two teams, the major rivals of one another, and ultimately Madrid being on the whole, with one season exception, being put to the sword. Then you have the ultimate equation where probably at the time, Mourinho being the biggest manager, the biggest personality in the world of football, not only losing his mind in El Clasico in Spain, coming over getting Manchester United, and then having to look left. A job that he'd envied for a number of years, a, to be a, honest. A job that he'd coveted, certainly, yeah, certainly, right for a number of years, and the personality to, in my view, the only one of the few personalities that could have been bigger than that dressing room, looks left and sees Pep Guardiola being given absolutely everything he wants and being able to achieve a brand of football against a backdrop of a demeanour which is far more appealing to us all and far more appetising. So I think, as much as I'm a has always been a fan of Mourinho's I think yeah there is an element of rather unseemly envy about the manner in which he entered if you look at the way Mourinho behaved when he was in on that famous touchline spat where he was sticking his in fingers in eye. people's eyes and ears that's brought about by a certain emotion so yeah I do I think Mourinho to some extent was driven by a sense of envy covetness, unjust behavior towards him so I think you're absolutely right I think envy forms part of Mourinho's look left at Guardiola. Total handbrake turn, nothing to do with the deadly sin. Have you enjoyed uh,
0: this weekend after Laporte got injured? Guardiola suggesting in the press conference that he couldn't afford a centre half this summer. They didn't have the budget for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, take that with a degree of tongue in cheek, don't we?
0: Just straight face in which he said it. I mean, it was just yeah, r- the bare rem-
1: sense of lack of irony. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. remarkable, absolutely remarkable. <laughs> when I was. Growing up, and I don't know about you, growing up in Croydon and watching yep. Crystal Palace, I didn't really care about any other club. I cared about Spurs and what they did, and I was immensely proud of them, even when they were most of my lifetime growing up, a mid-table, top-level team. Mm-hmm. Yours, a yo-yo club between uh, yeah. one level one level yep. two. Now you see it incredibly uh, often, and perhaps it's because of the hate-hive of Twitter. Fans are now deeply, deeply, first of all, almost forensically investigating other clubs. And then what they find, of course, is they start to become jealous of their new ground, their rich owner, their fantastic midfield trio to use a current in-vogue phrase, would our footballing mental health all be a bit better if we stepped away from other clubs and
1: not worried about what they had and looked after our own? Yeah, because ultimately envy breeds resentment. And, I mean, I said at the top of the show that envy breeds a thinking of entitlement, but alongside entitlement breeds resentment and hostility and then ridicule and parody and desire to do people down. I am a great one for wanting to put people's feet to the fire and make people accountable for what they do and what they say and question people's motives, but never at the centre of any of my thinking was envy. I do have to be a bit societal about it because I do think it's a sort of a British way of thinking. Having lived in America for years, when you're successful in America, people want to know how you got there so they can emulate you. In this country, when you are successful, people want to know how they can use it to pull you down or how you got that through no sense of earnings. It was perhaps inherited or you had no sense of entitlement or you were a lottery winner. So I find that that kind of envy is destructive. In the confines of football, there is a variety of reasons why people look at other clubs with a degree of envy. Sometimes it's simply because it's really envy-hiding admiration and a desire to have what someone else has got. And sometimes more sinister, it is also because, there's a, as I've said at the beginning of this, there's a great deal of resentment that pervades people's thinking. And you have to try and get the balance right on it. I mean, I don't look at Tottenham Hotspur, and some people would do, and say, with a great deal of envy, that they've built this wonderful stadium. And a lot of clubs inside the Premier League will look at it and say, well, a lot of clubs, fans specifically, I'm not sure so much owners would look at it that way because they won't want the billion pound price tag that mm. Daniel Levy has put on that stadium. And, and, and financial millstone going front, forward. And yeah. Exactly. And the cost implications of it, which will, of course, be balanced about by the increased revenue that they'll get from either stadium naming rights or increased capacity of 20,000 extra fans a game. You know, three or four hundred, five hundred thousand fans extra a year, but that envy of that kind of thing is counterproductive and ugly, and it does go through all aspects of football, starting with the Salford Cities and ending up in the Premier League with the Tottenham Hotspurs of the world, and it's not reflective of a sport that really is based upon meritocracy, because ultimately the best clubs have the best facilities and the cream does always float to the surface and envy is a destructive emotion that is based upon people wanting something that they're really not entitled to or is beyond their reach. I mean of course so much of this and
0: you've talked earlier on about envying cars and frankly girlfriends and things like that and We'll have a little word about that in a second. But often this is based on money. I'm reminded, Simon, all about money of time. the great, Everything's about money. The great uh, Scouse comedian from the 1980s and 90s, Alexei Sale, who tells a story about the time he met Paul McCartney. And, of course, they're two Liverpudlian cultural icons together, and he said I met him at a cocktail party and um, made small talk about the Beatles and all the rest of it. And he said, inside my mind, all I was thinking was... Give me some of that money! Give me some of your money! (laughs) He does this screaming into the microphone about what he really wanted to say to Paul McCartney. I'm springing this on you. I should have prepared you for this. In your football life or in your real life, have you ever been envious of somebody? No. Jealous? No.
1: Covetous? No. I've looked at what other people have got and thought I really would like that. And if I'm honest, I don't know if it's envy or resentment. I do reflect on the inordinate amount of money and time that I put into Crystal Palace and the rub of the green that I got. And I look at the incumbent owners and think, wow, crying out loud, you picked something up for two and six, you hardly put any money in, you use my assets, and all of a sudden you've made more money, or certain people, specifically Steve Parrish, have made more money from this (laughs) business than any other business you've ever made. And I suppose, I don't know if that's envy or a sense of regret, So if that is envy, which I don't think it is, it's a sense of looking back on 10 years of my life, 50 million quid of my money, and enormous amounts of endeavour against what my perceptions of what they inherited, what they picked up on, and what they got as a result of it. So if that's envy, that's as close as I've got to it. I remember doing a, a series of articles for The Observer and writing about the ideals of some of these clubs, and I know it was, I'll paraphrase it because I can't use the language, but I did it in The Observer saying that I felt that the Arsenals and Man United were BS clubs full of BS because I felt that some of the people that were inside those clubs lacked integrity, lacked the real authenticity, and were there for association. And that wasn't envy. That was me elevating what I felt that I represented to my football club against what they were doing via theirs. So no, Danny, I don't look across at people and think... Anything other than like watching you as a presenter, I think mm-hmm. I wish I could be as good a presenter as you are at times, but that's not envy, that's just looking at someone admiring their talents. Well, since I hope that one of the things that, that was so, a lie, I, by the way, as well, yeah, of course, but I, and,
0: and rather I pulls the rug under my next uh, observation, which is not a question which is one of the things that I love about this uh, podcast is that we set ourselves a task of being, if nothing else, even if we're not the most knowledgeable yeah. or the most entertaining, we'd be the most honest people talking about football. So my own, I have been envious, it's, and it's an odd one. It's not about cars or houses or girls. It's about opportunity. I think I'm a pretty good broadcaster over the years, and yet I've sometimes seen other people doing things where I think, how on earth did they get that gig? Yeah. I'm three times a broadcaster he or she is. No names, no factual, and I could do that I wouldn't do it standing on my head. It would be an odd sight. I could do that standing on my head and you start to build up conspiracy theories about Oxbridge and Eton and stuff like that. And I have been there, but I am no point in pretending otherwise. The only lesson I've learned about it, of course, is that all jealousy is absolutely corrosive of your own soul and you've got
1: to get rid of it as soon as you can. Absolutely. And I suppose if we are talking... I mean, I listen to people like Gary Neville and voicing opinions that you or I have had weeks and months before he has, and then finding him sitting in front of a select committee, briefing somebody about the reasons why Wembley stadium shouldn't be sold to a foreigner. And you think to yourself, well, really, and truly, I said that with far more gusto, I have far more meaning behind what I'm saying. And yet people in certain positions get their opportunity. So I don't know whether bearing one's soul about looking at other people with a degree of is it envy? I suppose it might be a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, don't, I, th- I think, as I say, the only positive to come out of that feeling is that the knowledge you gain as you grow older, that you must get that out of your bloodstream. Yeah. You suck the poison out like rattlesnake venom <laughs> as soon as you can because it will kill you, not them. The person you're envying doesn't even know you're doing it. The way that football fans now deal with other clubs and the microscopic measuring of bias and all the rest of it. There's actually a site, you can go on the web and find it, where people discuss how much airtime Leeds United get in the championship compared to other championship clubs. Well, there's a reason for that. They're a monstrous club where yeah. 40,000 people go in yeah. there and a name that rings around the world, whether you like that or not. Yeah. And the other one, and you see it all the time now, is people moaning and genuinely getting themselves into a knicker twist situation over the running order on match of the day. I mean, we both work in the media. I suspect the running order's decided like this. That's a really interesting game. That went really well. And there's a really big club. Let's put that at the top of the running order. But you do see people going their nuts because Norwich are not top of the running order.
1: Danny, believe me, I would sit there in Premier League meetings and watch the fixtures come out for the following season with the live television games going, why have Man United got all these games? We've only (laughs) got five televised games this season. And then reality kicks back in that actually as much as it gets up my nose, as much as I still believe that the Premier League is a sum of all its parts, there is an element of you have to respect the fact that Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham and the like are part and parcel of the reasons why the Premier League is a powerhouse. so I can
0: almost understand that. Well, you know, far be it for me to understand what you're saying, but you know, there was half a million pounds or whatever it was at stake there. Sure, the a little difference little in the that, running order yeah. on, on match of the day is just yeah,
1: purely... I, I just raised the bar a little bit yeah, on that conversation. It's just yeah.
0: purely my, my club is bigger than your club. It's a measuring company isn't it? If we might end today, I think, um, with a more serious thought, and it's this for all that we love football, you and I, yep. and we love the, to some extent the business of football, and although I think it, the envy that must be felt, Simon, two places in other sports which yep. have been devoured in my lifetime by football, and other businesses where people use their brains to and, and their intuition and, uh, yeah and yeah. their their skill and the the knowledge they've acquired over decades to just keep a business going whether it's a welk stall or an international widget exportation company and when they look at football clubs and the ease with which the premier league and football has attracted money and maybe it's not been that easy but i think it has been they must be sick vomiting with envy
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you look at it and think that ultimately, there's no other business than we've discussed this before, where somebody can serve up rubbish one week and get people to come back and buy the same thing again. So there will always be an element of the fact that people look at football and sport as an easy win, and know that their own product has to be marketed far more, the extensive values that they want to bring to bear are scrutinise a great deal more than some, some of the propositions that are put in from football. And also some of the propositions that are actually put out there in the marketplace have far more integrity than football does sometimes. But it's a by the by Danny and if you look at other sports I have a mixed bag feeling towards it because football grasped the metal and in 1991 when Sky came along and gave it its new lease of life and let's be clear it gave it its new lease of life. The other sports were in a situation where football was in descendancy it wasn't the media package that it now is. So have violence, decrepit and it, dangerous football grounds. Absolutely. A raft of challenging and tragic instances around, you know, Hillsborough and other things that were really... Bradford, School, uh, yeah, Absolutely yeah. unseating the entire fabric of football. And you look at these sports and say, well, you managed to steal defeat from the jaws of victory. But it doesn't alter the facts that the landscape must be very challenging From You do see these halcyon moments in things like cricket where internationally... They can find their benediction and validation because they can go and win a World Cup, which English football can't do, or they can garner the attention of a nation when you see the achievements of Ben Stokes and things like that. And I'm just thinking as I'm thinking, Danny, I'm thinking about one element of envy that I did have in football, Ah. and I'm going to drop it in now. It's a rather ugly and unsightly admission, but I remember being in my first Premier League meeting and it was at the time that the Premier League had negotiated its next deal with uh, Sky and the remuneration committee that was being headed by David Gill of Manchester United was voting or had a recommended a salary bonus to Richard Scudamore of a million or a couple of million quid and they were putting it to the clubs and my first question in my first Premier League meeting was how much? Why is he getting a £2 million bonus, in my ugly little mind, thinking, mm. I wish I could make £2 million out of a football club <laughs> anytime any time soon? Was that
0: before you understood that everyone in football was had their snouts, need, well, snout deep in the
1: gravy trough? Well, that was before everyone in the room told me to shut up because he's just negotiated a £1.1 £1. <laughs> 1. 1 billion pound deal for all of us to get on with it. But I was like, well, that's his job. And thinking in my mind's like, geez, it seems very easy for someone like him that's got a job that's sole focus in life is to get the broadcasters, who, by the way, are handing the money to you, get to £2 bonus for that. So that was one of my ugly instances of envy for my own part. And to end on a positive, there are sports I think
0: that are very, very valuable and undervalued in our country. Cricket is one. Absolutely. Athletics is another. is another. Tennis, you would argue, is another. Cycling is not one. No, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for that. We've seen the Hearn gang, let's call them that, do wonders for darts and boxing. Yep. Not so much snooker. Is there any of those sports, Simon, that I think you or a group of people like yourself, could they make them into a a smaller but every bit as successful version within their own world as Football and the Premier boxing. League is
1: done. Absolutely, boxing. If you look at the broadcast deals that are being done, they're doing it with individuals. But if you look at and read about the deals that are being done with which broadcasters carrying Tyson Fury, which broadcasters carrying Deontay Wilder, which broadcast platform is carrying Anthony Joshua, and if you look at the stables of fights that are going on, if you look at the body of talent that Eddie Hearn, Bob Arum, and all those people are putting together again, and if you look at the size and scale, you know, let's get it right, Mike Tyson back in 1986 through to 1998 earned 350, 400 million as an individual. And if you scale that up and look across the opportunities that exist in boxing and the broadcast revenues that can be put there and the fact that they've got matchroom series is where the middleweights are fighting in a series of fights. I think boxing has the landscape and has the audience interaction and engagement and the pay-per-view numbers that could be the next landscape for real, real monetization again. And, of course, we've shown
0: that if you give the IPL, for instance, in cricket, the Indian Premier League, shown that if you give the customers what they want want, at the possibility of undermining what they thought they want in test cricket, if you give them what they want, the the envy and the jealousy of the Premier League soon goes away because you've got a firework display of a product yourself. Absolutely right. Now don't forget to stick around to see who we're going to put in our sin bin this week, but first it's time for our charity bet. Marathon bet, bless them, have been very, very generous with us and each week set up a charity bet for us. All we've got to do is pick the winners of three football matches, Simon 3, me 3, and they will give us a, l- all, a load of money for the charities of our choice. Again last week, although I did get the Leeds United-Swansea result exactly right, we failed to do any good at all. So we're going to simplify it this week, international week, we're only going to have three bets and between us, me... Simon are going to pick three teams to win, probably from the home nations, and hopefully we can get some of this money rolling into our chosen charities. And Dan from Marathon Bet is here with us. Let's pick the first game you want me to choose from these home internationals. I'm going to choose, Dan, if I may. I'm going to choose the Republic of Ireland to beat Switzerland. And I do that in full knowledge that Switzerland are the seeded number one team in that group and the Republic of Ireland are going through a period of change. But I've just started to pick up a vibe back home in Ireland that, you know, despite having the weakest squad they've had for a long, long time, No yeah. the two Keens carried the country for 20 years, but there is a togetherness about the
2: squad, and I think they can give Switzerland a good game, I think they'll beat Switzerland. Yeah, interesting. They're 14-5, to 5, Republic of Ireland, to beat Switzerland. At home, mind. At home, they are at yeah. home. Your point about a squad is very interesting. When you look at their back two. I think Duffy and Keo were the back two last time. You had Hogan and McGoldrick up front. Not household names with all due respect to them. International footballers, mind you. But
0: No, it has to be a team effort. It can't be relying on Robbie Keane to pull something out of the air every, every sort of second match. Time. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Switzerland are very strong, but Republic are on the top of the group. Thank so. you very much indeed. I'm glad I've gone for those. Simon, we're going to talk about uh, Scotland, who are playing against... Russia.
1: Right. Despite their showing in the World Cup, the Russians i feel that with this new reinvigorated scotland i think it was a pretty poor decision despite i like the fact alex mcleish uh, i like him as a person i think he was the wrong person to have gotten mm. the job i think gordon arthur and gordon strachan yes. have got scotland playing with a degree of passion and further and commitment and belief and i think he should have been allowed to continue on that journey and i think that with scotland uh, under clark with a new mentality I think they'll beat Russia. And suddenly, of course, with the Robertsons and the McGinns as well, exactly, they've suddenly
0: yep. got players who are performing in the Premier League, which they absolute, almost haven't had for a generation. Wilds of Scotland to yeah, beat Russia.
2: Scotland are 191 to 100 to beat Russia. Simon, I agree with you in terms of Russia's World Cup performance. I thought, obviously, the whole country got behind them a bit like a home nation did, and they got probably further than anyone thought. Your point about Robertson and McGinn, I had exactly the same thing written down. Is the flip side to Ireland when you look at those players coming mm-hmm. through. And uh, Scotland to beat Russia at home is 191 to 100.
0: But we've got to pick a third result have, have got to agree on. Now, we've gone very, very pro the home nations, the five nations that comprise the teams on these islands, Simon. Can we make a similar case
1: for Wales against Azerbaijan? I was going to be very mean-spirited because there's certain aspects of the way that the Welsh setup is set about with people coming through that flatter flattered to deceive. I think Chris Coleman got very lucky in that European Championships in 2016, and it meant that we had to listen to people like Dean Saunders more regularly on the radio which I had a degree of regret about although I like Dean and I don't like his particular current circumstances but it's going to be very difficult I was going to make a case for Azerbaijan beating Wales but just looking at their most recent records I think that's going to be very difficult well
0: Gareth Bale is uh, having to prove himself a footballer once again Dan yep. James has had a brilliant start Absolutely. Uh, to his time at Manchester United and surely
2: those two up front will be plenty for Azerbaijan and Aaron Ramsey of course but presumably the odds are Dan are very short they are they're 13 to 50 but you look at the Wales they've only won two of their last five and that was against Slovakia. Okay, not a bad side. And Trinidad and Tobago. So they are struggling a bit. Azerbaijan are sixteen to one, but your selection is Wales at thirteen to fifty. Mm-hmm. As you're doubling your bet this week, as opposed to doing individual trebles, just to make sure we can give a little bit of money to charity. Your treble will come in at two hundred seventy-eight pounds.
0: Hopefully, and we'll be giving that money to charity. Thank you very much indeed, Dan, and thanks to Marathon Bet for giving us the chance to put some money into these chosen charities. <laughs> So now comes the one of the crucial parts of the show, Simon, and all the listeners out there, where we have to pick two people to go into our sin bin this week. People who are guilty of the sin of envy, jealousy, covetousness, if you like. And by the end of the series, we'll have a whole squad of them from which we'll be picking our sinners 11. I'll let you go first. Who do you want to put into the envy sin bin?
1: I think I'm going to go with the envy that I think that Muhammad Salah might have been feeling on Saturday about the goal-scoring achievements and Sadio Mane which of course resulted in Mane having a turn when he came off the pitch because Salah could and should have should. played him in.
0: Okay, so that's a uh, Mohamed Salah good at least for the football team we're constructing in the sin bin. Well, has now a got a brilliant place. forward. Everyone player. will be envious of. I'm going to go for a playmaker and I'm I'm using the sin of envy here with a small e. I don't want to slaughter him. I've watched Christian Eriksen over the past 16 months, shall we say, a year and a half, that's 18 months, isn't it? Gradually, his focus has gone off what he has at Tottenham Hotspur, and whether it's his agent or himself driving it, and I understand he's a top player, but his focus has moved on to clubs other than his own. And it's very unusual for football to say, I want to go and play for one of the two big Spanish giants. And then we've seen throughout this summer, and again, uh, this all might all change in the next five hours, none of these clubs have come in for him. And I've watched his performances deteriorate slightly, as he has continued to look over the garden fence at Tottenham Hotspur and say, oh look, it might be a little bit better there. Warning, Christian, it isn't always better over there. Just ask your friend Neymar. Thank you all for listening to this week's edition of the Marathon Bet Podcast with me,
1: Danny Kelly, him, Simon Jordan, where we've been discussing envy. Danny, listen, the biggest thing that I take away from this show is the envy that all these other so-called football podcasts must have of the quality that we have here, mate. Absolutely right, Simon. I think they're all pretty much known our new
0: sheriff in town. Exactly I think right. it's fair to say. A little bit of homework for you this week. We're asking, of course, international break. Over the years, there have been many, many sins committed by and against England and England's players. All you've got to do is tell us who's the biggest sinner, either in an England shirt or playing against England. Simple as that. And next week, we'll be discussing the way countries, England, the fans, are full of pride. Pride will be our sin of football next week here on the Marathon Bet Podcast. See you then. Marathon Bet. Better odds mean bigger winnings. 18 plus, begamblerware.org.